1: With chocolate treats mixed into dark chocolate ice cream, the Tillamook Chocolate Collection is a chocolate game changer because the thing that pairs best with chocolate is more chocolate. Tillamook Chocolate Collection Ice Cream. Extraordinary dairy.
2: And we're back with an all-new episode of Keep It of Ira Madison III. Sound a little congested
3: today. I'm Louis Fertel. I also woke up very sniffly, and the last time I went to Fire Island, and I'm going back this weekend, I had the worst cold of my life. I cannot do this again. I cannot be sneezing on that fucking ferry, looking like the tubercular kid from the secret garden as I try to vacation.
2: Mm, I mean, I I don't feel sick at all, so... Okay, I well, don't
3: know. How. All right. You <laughs> I always... think you're projecting, Louis. Oh, all
2: right. Well... There's just something about you. You have that sick essence. Well, you know, I have been traveling. Um, I did just get back from a trip. I was touring the um, Shein um, factories in China. Excuse me? Go on. Yeah, you know, she... Oh, I guess...
3: Every-, <laughs> every time that company comes up, somebody says it one of five different ways, and I just throw my arms up, and I... It's like LaCroix. It's like, can we simply agree? Can we simply just say it the one way? She Oh sh- <laughs> like uh, <laughs> like the character on Saxon City, yes.
2: Yes. Uh no, I was in Amsterdam mm. seeing the Renaissance tour. Through a cloud of smoke, I assume. Yes, yes. Uh I, I hit the I hit the meth pipe. Yeah. Oh, that's <laughs> good. good move for you. A little spring in your step at the concert. Yeah. I've said this before. I was avoiding everything having to do with the concert because I wanted to, you know take it all in. Yeah. Uh, and I took it all in. And it's fantastic. There's a lot to take and then in I saw from i seen. Oh, you've seen it both times in Amsterdam? I saw it both nights. I saw it both nights, which was fantastic because it was Juneteenth weekend. And the second show, the Sunday show, you know, she wore um, outfits, completely new outfits. Mm. Um, and that, she's been doing that, by the way, um, which is... Um, Really sort of like a treat for people like, you know, when you're getting content constantly from like a concert, you're seeing like the same thing over and over again. I think it's kind of nice when you're on social media now and you're getting like, oh, new outfit. So it feels like you're getting something new. No, it's it like feels enticing like enticing uh, you to uh, see the it, show. It, there's
3: a sense of occasion to the actual concert. It feels like you're not just watching a YouTube video that you could have seen
2: any other place. Yeah. Yeah. But she was wearing um, outfits by all black designers on the Sunday show, including herself. Because she wore, like, the new Ivy Park line.
3: Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought you were talking about the House of Darion for a minute. I was like, I want her back in that burgundy jumpsuit from the Lose My Breath video.
2: The Darion jeans. Yes. Um. No, it's it's also a friend of mine was um telling me that I believe, you know, the top three grocers of the year concert-wise, you know, been like Harry, Beyonce, and Taylor, and... Beyonce is probably Taylor Day and you mean, right? Go ahead. Yes, of course. Um yeah. tell it to her heart. Yes, right. Um, tell it to the bank account. Yes. <laughs> uh the three of them, um, of the three of them, I would say that probably Beyonce is the highest earning, like taking in the most. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's lower than them overall because of the budget for her show. Oh, like you know, I see. the changing the outfits which reminds me very much of like Michael Jackson. The musical MJ is sort of about like, you know, how the Dangerous Tour was like overblown with budget and about how he had to, you know, like take out a loan on Neverland.
3: Well, also every one of his outfits was like, Oh, here's a band leader jacket lined with emeralds or whatever. Yeah. I, truly among superstars, <laughs> no one had gaudier, also say it, worse taste than Michael Jackson.
2: Yeah, it really did. Michael Jackson was straight up gross. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, it's this, you know, perfectionist thing of Beyoncé and you know, with wanting like it to be visually different each show, which eats into the budget.
3: Well, from what I've seen, which is, of course, very little, there's some sort of sci-fi contraption she's in at one point that is giving, you know, Spider-Man turn off the dark or
2: something. (laughs) Tendrils and things launching
3: out of the edges. I don't know what was
2: happening. So when the Renaissance show starts, uh, and I have to clarify the Renaissance show because Beyonce is her own opener on this tour no it's never been done it's simply never been yeah, done It's <laughs> simply never been done but um what happens is the show starts and you know and announcer says, ladies and gentlemen beyonce Giselle knows carter and wow. she comes out you know in like a dress um there's a woman playing on the piano with the microphone and she does dangerously in love to the audience uh and then you know sings some like sings like flaws and all and like some other songs from four As sort of like I'm giving you the vocals that you want from me, right?
3: Oh, I see, I see.
2: Yeah, and then she leaves, um, and then the screen says, "Welcome to Renaissance," and then the show starts.
3: That's very. So it's like a dance party. Completely after that, it's like um, Asteroid City. Here's the view outside (laughs) of the movie, the the making of kind of the
2: you know, and then we get into the Wes Anderson movie you expect which I kind of love because even though, you know, there's like a love on top moment um, and stuff like later in the show, obviously um, the show doesn't stop, you know, to give like ballads, which is always sort of a problem when you're sort of having like fun at a concert. Right. And then it's like, Oh, well, here's this like stops and starts and like, how do you blend it together? Uh, And it really sort of just stays a dance party. But when the Renaissance part starts, She's like locked into this, like yeah, this like sci-fi contraption, which opens up, and you know she what, steps out. Do you know
3: what it looks like? The villain from Wild Wild West, or the the big <laughs> spider? That's what it looks like. That thing that what's that guy? John Peters, uh, former paramour of Bar- Bar- Barbara Streisand and L- Leslie and Warren. Yes, insisted there be a, a giant mechanical spider in uh, Wild Wild West. He tried to get it in some other movie, I think the, uh, a Superman movie or something. And mm. uh, uh, lo and behold, it ended up there. And poor Kevin Klein, poor Will Smith.
2: Huh. There's also a point where you go um, in the visuals uh, into a robot's um, vagina. So, you know. Really? Take that row. Yeah. <laughs> that seems very uh, old school Lady Gaga to me. You know, it's because they share a designer.
4: Uh, oh, you know, okay. Who was
5: coming no. to
2: work with Beyoncé on this tour. Stephanie, um, she's busy um, hawking medication. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and what... And, and, like, there's, like, discarded Babylon viv- visuals she associates with
2: this medication now, or gave yeah. us? Yeah. So she was hawking Nertek, a migraine yes. drug, right. which, okay, bitch, you, you've given us migraines, <laughs> so you should be giving it away for free. Um... But after she did that and the backlash, <laughs> did you see her, like, post the, uh, like, the black and white photo of her sitting, like, in her studio with, like, some, like, Chromatica visuals behind her and this long post about how, like, I've been working really hard for you guys. And I'm, like, in the editing bay every day working on, like, the Chromatica tour video. It's like, okay, girl. <laughs>
3: Also, the backlash couldn't have been that
2: extreme. You know what I mean? All it right. wasn't that extreme. It's you like know? people were making fun of her. Right, right. Because it's like, do you need the money? But then also, what I just said about like, the Beyonce tour and like, being expensive and shit. I mean, like maybe she does need the money. Tours are expensive. I do remember once upon a time, Lady Gaga, this
3: is right at the beginning of her career, 2009, 2010, when she would perform absolutely everywhere. She was saying how broke she was because of yeah. all, all all the effort and... I mean, at that time, costuming that went into her everyday life. She would leave a hotel room and would have to be a head-to-toe, you know, like
2: Vivian Westwood explosion. Yeah, you know, if you're doing couture outfits all the fucking time, um, and she's wearing them all the fucking time, uh, and that was probably even before she was being gifted shit all the time, you know? Um, And then if you're changing shit on tour constantly, like Beyonce is, you know, like, these are these are our superstars, you know? Like, Beyonce and Gaga can't just go up there and do a little shimmy. <laughs> okay? You know? No, but must, I'm not calling anybody out by name. Yeah, but they right. can't go out there and do, like, a little shimmy, you know, and then have people be like, oh, it's an amazing tour. You know? Like, they will get critiqued for that.
3: Can I just say about Dua Lipa, since I think that's what was going on here? Um, you know, like, sometimes when there's a pop artist, I dread having to see white people dancing to these people. <laughs> You know, just so you don't really want to see it. And then Dua Lipa, I think, made it worse because white people are even worse at sexually sauntering. Like, we can't even Mm. do that. You know what I mean? It's just not built for
2: for, for our frame, really. Yeah. I mean, you look like Curse of the Spider Woman when you dance. (laughs) (laughs) I'm all elbows, limbs. I'm the mechanical spider from Wild Wild West. I'm just saying, you know, if your dancers are out dancing you,
3: we have a problem. Right, right, right. That's even a problem with Madonna on the recent tour. She's like, "Oh, here comes like parkour experts like sprinting up around me while I
2: moan songs from Ray of Light." Um, overall though, I would say the tour was like really fucking fun. You know, we got a glimpse of the visuals. Good. Oh yeah, which exists. They're exist. a part of the show. Uh-huh. Um, and you have that to take in. There's so many stages. Like, the stage is very intricate. Like, it's S. Delvin, who's done, you know, uh, the weekend's after-hours tour. Um, You know, she did um, Kanye's sort of big um, stage that he had had at Coachella before. Uh, You know, it's very, like, futuristic and, like, intricate. And there's a lot of stages um, there. There's the main stage. There's, um, you know, the catwalk where she walks out, but then there's also two other sort of catwalks where people are dancing and doing business. So there's a lot to take in. Mm. Um, So seeing it a second night helped me take in a lot more.
3: Were there any other uh, songs, maybe Destiny's Child songs that you were
2: surprised to hear? No, there was really no, like, Destiny's Child. That is a surprising artistic choice, yeah. Yeah, and uh, the song stayed pretty... There's renaissance, you know, there's formation, obviously, you know, there's love on top, Um, you know, like um, Single Ladies, Halo, that's all gone.
3: I have to applaud that.
2: We were very happy. There's like DJ dance breaks and stuff um, during transitions and when Single Ladies was playing during one of them. We all like turn to each other and we're like, thank God. Nicely done. Like, oh, yeah. Thank God. Thank God that this is all we get of it. 30 seconds. Yeah. No, Beyonce's like, you're not at CVS today. Sorry. (laughs) Um, Yeah. But the show is really, I'm looking forward to hopefully um, a remix album of this just because, you know, it leans more into, you know, like um, ballroom, like cunt vibes, you know, like the the, cozy, which I always loved on the album. Is maybe my favorite live because there's more of um Kevin Prodigy doing sort of like um ballroom chants and stuff right, in it. And yeah. there's like very intricate, like robot arms, like acting as like um, you know, a picture frame surrounding her a lot. American Has a Problem is great. Um, there's like there's really good remixes and sort of reimaginings of the songs, which is um I guess really fun to see because we haven't seen music videos, you know. Right. So right. also it, it's our first in, it's our first sight sorry, it's our first image of, you know, how she has interpreted these songs. Right, right, right.
3: Also, if she's going to give us ballroom type interpretations, I better see her inserted into that Cats thing we're getting on Broadway, the Ballroom Cats. <laughs>
2: Which actual ballroom people are involved in. So like I was well, well, excited. I mean like, yeah.
3: the nerve of this entire enterprise. If there weren't actual ballroom <laughs> people there, I think they would just burn the building
2: down. <laughs> um yeah, so I can't wait to see it again. Okay. And I will be and, seeing no, it again. and you will so, be. I'm not worried about that. Yeah.
3: Again, so. I still love the gag of my friends being like you know, because they, they didn't get to see her in Los Angeles, so they want to see her elsewhere first. So everybody's flying out to everywhere. Like somebody uh, will be like, oh, yeah, I'm seeing be- Beyonce, of course, in Saskatoon. Just <laughs> <laughs> she's out
2: on the prairie it's, today. It's really been this weird phenomenon of like, I ran into friends who I didn't know were going there. Um, I've seen people who I didn't know were going, like their Instagrams popping up now, like they're in like Barcelona or they're in Frankfurt seeing her. And um it was nice like sort of finding other Americans to dance with in the pit because let me tell you something. You're Zenf. The Dutch? <laughs> oh, the Dutch? Oh, not really moving? They're not Oh, they're not really moving. Well the shoes are Imagine heavy. that. Yeah. They created the slave trade. They didn't pick up a beat. <laughs> They've got windmill <laughs> arms, if you know what I mean. Yeah. It's a little mechanical. Uh yeah, the Europeans are a little a little stiff, so but no, we had a good-ass time. No
3: shade to Dutch uh, Wild Wild West star Frederick van Waal. I hope you're listening.
2: <laughs> you know everyone who was in the movie Wild Wild West. I have West. to say I do. I've I've seen have that movie. To say I have I've do. seen that movie once in person. Um, in person. Like, it was, it was a live production Oh, yes. Yeah. I've seen that movie once in theaters and maybe one other time on the TV muted at a bar. Right, right. Well, it shouldn't be watched, so you've already failed twice. <laughs> okay, what's going on with this episode? Yeah, what is going on with this episode? Let me figure out, what, what should we talk about? I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> no, so we have got, first off, Dwayne Perkins here. Oh my God, love him.
3: And yes. also, love this movie, The Blackening. Definitely go see this in the theater. It is the uh, horror parody and legit comedy you want from this movie. So efficient. Laughs the entire time. Actors I, di- I didn't know beforehand. There are jokes. Whom I love in this movie.
2: Yeah. There are jokes. There's fantastic actors in it. I really enjoyed the film. Uh, and Dwayne is fantastic to talk to. Yeah. He's so funny. Very general. funny. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, and then speaking of comedies, uh, No Hard Feelings came out this past weekend. So and I- it was supposed to tout the return of the r-rated comedy um so we'll talk about that very well and then also speaking of comedies i'm kidding this show isn't (laughs) a comedy at all Uh. anymore um (laughs) and just like that is back and i have finally watched
3: it okay good we'll get into this my friend lou wilson who is the announcer for jimmy kimmel live when this show came out he goes oh yeah what's the name of that show i guess we're all here
2: like I'm just like, there's something about the title where
3: it does not stick. You're like, it's a sequence of small
2: words. So I just always think of, I guess we're all here. That's so weird because I feel like I'm constantly around gays just going, well, and just like that. That's your choice of friends, and you shouldn't be bragging about that. Uh, so that is our show this week. Uh, before we kick it to the rest of our episode, I do want to sadly say that... Um, a friend of mine passed away this week. Uh, you were friends with him too, uh, Adam North. Uh, he was a playwright, a very good one. Um, it's hard to find a good playwright these days. I'm going to say I can think of two. So yeah. okay, a good a good playwright is hard to find. Was the original name of um, that poem? <laughs> I believe it was a short story, but okay, yeah, Kate Chopin. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. Anyway, I just wanted to mention his name because I loved him and he was a really, he was a really good friend. And actually, one of the first people that I hung out with in 2020 when, you know, we were allowed to be with people. Right. Uh, I remember going to um, the park in Brooklyn and like hanging out with him and drinking White Claws with masks on our face.
3: No, I think often about the times I'm at, like, a picnic table outside of the restaurant I used to hang out in and we're in mass. <laughs> I'm like, what is this post-apocalyptic scenario? Just so joyless in many ways. Yeah, Adam North was a rad, um, very smart, uh, erudite guy. I, I can't believe he uh, passed away. It just, uh, say, say you love your friends, hang out with your friends, enjoy your life.
2: Life is uh, a luxury, et cetera. Yeah. The smartest thing he did was move from L.A. to New York, too.
3: Um, Okay. That's your take.
2: Uh, We all have a fine
3: time here, but all right. (laughs) All right. We will be back
2: with more Keep It. Pride is all about queer joy. Not to me.
3: And
4: I hate it. (laughs) (laughs)
3: Right off the bat, we disagree.
2: (laughs) No, it's about celebrating how far we come and fighting to make things better. It's also a little bit about outfits. Yes. The Crooked Store's Pride Collection has everything you need to celebrate and spread the word
3: with new Fuck Bands merch, criminalized straight tees, and leave trans kids alone, you absolute freaks collection. Pick up a piece and hit the streets with a
2: message. Head to crooked.com slash store to shop. You absolute (music) non-freaks. Jennifer Lawrence has returned, and she is back to being funny. Thank God. I was tired of that bitch running around killing teenagers. In? Hunger Games. Oh, that's right. Right, she's in those. (laughs) I Even thinking about her career, (laughs) completely
3: forget about that. All I know is that Gina Davis is like, oh, we love those movies because it's a female protagonist and she's
2: an archer like me, Gina Davis. <laughs> well, that and X Men. Like she was, she was, she's literally trapped in like two different franchises for well over a decade.
3: Yeah, which because she has like her six prestige movies and then she made those fifty other ones. Which I mean, not that they're poorly rated or anything, but you know, you're not going to see Hunger Games in the main categories at the Oscars. They're better rated than those David O. Russell movies. No
2: fucking joke. I'm going to get into the David L. Russell of it all with Jennifer Lawrence momentarily, but go ahead. We saw No Hard Feelings this weekend, a movie that has been touted as a return to the era of R-rated comedies, but I have some thoughts about that, Yeah, too. Um, I loved this film. I thought it was really funny. I thought it was really sweet. I thought it was really unexpectedly heartwarming. I think that the trailer... And the entire thing about R-rated comedies are back, raunchy comedies are back, um, was a little premature because this movie was barely raunchy.
3: No, I think if you went in expecting Porky's or whatever, that's the only way you'll come out disappointed because I think the star of this movie is the chemistry between these two actors, which is unexpected. Um, You have Jennifer Lawrence uh, playing somebody who's hired by these uptight parents. Uh, Matthew Broderick and Laura Benanti who I believe was handed a list of old Kristen Wiig performances and they said just do this um,
2: did I tell you that it took me half the movie to realize that was Laura Benanti I was like sh- I was like is this what I thought it was Kristen Wiig at first yes it could be like five different people I also just had to afterwards had to google like Laura Bonanti's age because it was very odd to see her paired with Matthew Broderick
3: right they are not the same age correct um, but uh, Jennifer Lawrence is hired to bring their um, introverted, nerdy son out of his shell, give him a social life, basically, and b- have sex with him, uh, ostensibly. And the beginning of it is her courting him and being very obvious about it and showy and flashy. But what, and obviously she ends up kind of falling for him. That is expected. But what's unexpected is he is a really good actor. Uh, he's barely Ugh. been in any movies before. And he is a
2: veteran of the Jimmy Awards, which, first of Andrew all... Berth, Andrew Barth Feldman. We stand Jimmy winners yes. in this, on this podcast. If we've
3: not talked much about the Jimmys, the Jimmys are a competition for high school theater. So people go on, and like the, the boys compete as a group, the girls compete as a group, because they believe in the b- binary, which is very upsetting. We'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll work on that. But um, Andrew Barth Feldman won the Jimmys one year... And he does this fabulous uh, uh, performance from the musical Honeymoon in Vegas. And you see that not only does his voice sound great, but the acting is, you can tell the acting is a priority for him because it's so charming, so realistic. And he brings that to this movie. Yeah, uh, He's so
2: adorable in this film. And mm -hmm. like you truly, this is casting that works because Jennifer Lawrence is like, back to being like fucking amazing as usual uh and he the chemistry that they have together like i felt bad for him in this movie as it's going on like i like i fell in love with him during the movie he's like a really good actor and it reminds me of um he looks a lot like mike feist
3: yes he's in that category Uh, of people like he's sort of the jay baruchel we deserve you know what i'm saying yeah uh Jay could have been the Jay we deserved I know he was lovely
2: undeclared he, 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 and he, he, then um, he's got
3: how I met your dragon money
2: or whatever the fuck that's called <laughs> <laughs> He's rolling in it yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, great cast.
3: Yes. Uh, Jennifer Lawrence. Uh, I, there was some trepidation for me because I knew going into this movie she'd be giving us Emma Stone 2009. And I wondered if we needed more of that. You know, uh, as you know, I'm not like an easy A stan. Emma Stone also like fabulous in her own right. I don't know if we needed a copycat version of that. She is great. And also I love all the jokes at her character's expense in this movie. She's 32 and and in real life and in the movie and the jokes they make about her being old compared to him or uh, like uh, uh, Andrew Rothfeld makes the joke when they're in a big fight he goes well we have one thing in common we'll both be seniors in four years
2: (laughs) there's a really funny joke um, where she crashes the party that he's at um, because he's mad at her Um, and she makes a joke about um, these two um, guys like fucking each other. Uh, And they're offended that she's made like a homophobic joke. Uh, (laughs) And then they get like parents to come after her. Uh, And she's like aghast. She's like, oh, I can't be here because of the joke. And then the parents are like, no, you shouldn't be at a high school party, you (laughs) old bitch. (laughs) So for people who also like were prejudging this movie Uh, Because she is an older woman pursuing, like, a younger man, um, despite the fact he's 19 and going to college. Um, The movie's about that, and it makes jokes about that, and it's very aware of the situation.
3: Yes, definitely. Also... I think the movie goes to great pains to establish he is 19 years old. Like, it's not yes. like an on-the-cusp situation. He's not 17 <laughs> or 18. He is a 19-year-old. Uh, uh, yeah, there is... So, a movie like this, even though it's about kind of a quaint romance, it wants to have these larger uh, comedic set pieces that are broader, zanier. And I think the ones early in the movie work, namely the one that makes it an R-rated movie, which contains... The scene. Yes, nudity. I found that to be
2: very funny. I cackled at, I don't want to ruin it too much, but I cackled at Jennifer Lawrence emerging full bush (laughs) from the ocean for the funniest scene of the movie.
3: Yes. No, I mean, and looking, having Swamp Thing energy as she did it. (laughs) As the movie goes on, they obviously, it needs to ramp up the comedy in the movie. So they have a couple of crazy, uh, you know, movies that, I don't want to say they culminate in an explosion, but that sort of thing. And I find those to be less successful. But the final moment in the movie where they, um, you know, they've established what their relationship, I guess, will be going forward and how uh, she ends up, I I won't spoil it, but it's an incredibly sweet moment. It
2: ends perfectly, I think. I don't, like, I can't remember, like, a movie in recent history that's just been a really funny comedy to watch but also like made me feel like some of the best movies that like you know we watched when we were teenagers you know that like just made me feel like hopeful about the characters in the film yeah made yeah. me feel hopeful about my own life like I I just thought it was like a reverse graduate
3: yes almost yeah. yeah there's there is there's that like radiance about it
2: yeah it ends with them you know alone together but the way the graduate ends like very uneasy. Um, it, this is the opposite of that. It ends very hopeful.
3: Yes, and because both of these characters have a listlessness throughout the movie, too, and then that kind of goes away by the end, and, it, and it's mm-hmm. and it's very earned, I think.
2: I will also say that the character development of both of them and their traumas that bring them together feels very honest in this film and doesn't feel like tacked on dumb trauma just to, like, sort of make you relate to them. Right,
3: especially since every comedy nowadays has some drama or grief element or something. So that can feel very obligatory at times. It does not feel this way here. They're both, uh, it's both, it's really well acted. Also, this movie has a really low Metacritic score. It's like a 56 or something. This movie is definitely better than that. I don't know where people are coming from. I mean, I guess
2: it like, if I think it's the expectations. I went in expecting a completely different movie, but was pleasantly entertained. Yes, and by the way, I, we want to establish
3: this is a star vehicle for Jennifer, Jennifer Lawrence. You like, you see yes. what she can do in this movie. I would actually probably put this in my three favorite movies of hers. Um, yeah, I, I mean, think it, it's I, still Winter's Bone for me. And mm-hmm. then, if I had to name a second one, I might go like I'm not a Silver Linings Playbook, but that's another weird thing about Jennifer Lawrence. I think it she's established herself as this you know prestige actress. She obviously has a, a handful of Oscar nominations and Oscar win. I don't think a lot of those movies really hold up. Like, who wants to see American Hustle again? A movie that you could not explain the plot of if you tried. You know? <laughs> Joy was fine. I enjoyed her in Joy, but the movie felt uh, inessential. Uh, yeah, Silver Lighting. Like,
2: Mother might is, be my other favorite performance of hers. Mother. Mother is my favorite Jennifer Lawrence film. Uh, this is pr- this probably ratcheted up to second. Yeah. I'll put Silver Lighting as my third. I really do enjoy Silver Lighting's playbook. It was the last film where I was drinking the David O. Russell juice. Yeah, right, uh, right. After that, it's over. But
3: um, And we also love Jackie Weaver getting an Oscar nomination for, I believe, Holding a Tray of Snacks. That's
2: it. Yeah. <laughs> it's just nice to have um, her comeback really be a fucking great film and a great performance. And also introduce us to another new actor who is going to have, hopefully, a wealth of amazing performances. Um in his filmography.
3: Yeah, you definitely want to see him again and again after uh, watching this movie. Ira, do you have favorite R-rated
2: comedies? Because, by the way, not that there's a ton of them, honestly. (laughs) Yeah, you know, people are like, is this going to be like, you know, like, is the American Pie era back? You Mm -hmm. know? And I have to say, I don't see that era coming back anytime soon, but I would like it to because, you know, I sort of hate this weird puritanical, like, you know, like, um, shit that's been happening, like, on social media and, like, sort of in our film and TV lately you know like people aren't fucking anymore people mm-hmm. aren't making funny jokes anymore and it reminds me of a review of Roger Ebert's from 2000 of one of my favorite films maybe my favorite film you know bring it on oh okay bring 2000 it on. I thought you
3: were about to say um, Requiem for a Dream go ahead <laughs>
2: No, 2000, it's Urban Legends, final cut, <laughs> obviously. Alicia Witt, please come on, keep it. Where are you, Alicia Witt, anyway? <laughs> Probably holding people captive. Yeah. <laughs> I believe
3: that character is her. <laughs> she was not acting. She turned into that after starring on the show? Sybil,
2: go ahead. <laughs> so in Roger Ebert's review of Bring It On, which is PG-13, by the way. Yeah. um, He calls out what he believes to be, you know, um, the MPAA sort of getting r-rated content into pg-13 films at the time you know because teenagers couldn't go see r-rated films but in the 2000s it was very much like we gotta get like teenage boys uh and girls like in the seats Mm -hmm. but we need to keep them there with raunchy content let me read you some passages from this review he mentions you know the lyrics um to the opening chair and bring it on you know that like um you can look, but don't you hump? I'm major. I roar. I swear I'm not a whore. Um, those are the lyrics from the opening musical number of Bring It On, yet another example of the most depressing trend of the summer of 2000, the cynical attempt by Hollywood to cram R-rated material into PG-13 rated movies. Okay, Tipper this, Gore. Jesus Christ. <laughs> this is done not to corrupt our children, but even worse, with complete indifference to their developing values. The real reason is more cynical. Younger teenagers buy a lot of tickets and are crucial if a movie hopes to, quote-unquote, win the weekend. The R rating is a penalty at the box office. So movies that were born to be an R, like Gone in 60 Seconds, Coyote Ugly, and Bring It On, are trimmed to within a millimeter of the dividing line and released as PG-13 so that any child tall enough to push dollars through the ticket window is cheerfully admitted with or without an adult. It is giving Phil a <laughs> He says he would have enjoyed the movie more if it had developed, like, along the lines of an animal house or American Pie, but instead, we got a strange mutant beast, half Nickelodeon movie, half R-rated comedy, and the ending of it is truly maybe one of the wildest things I've ever seen him write. As an entry in the PG-13 category, it's not as appalling as Coyote Ugly, which basically instructs young girls that there's money to be made in the bimbo business. (laughs) But it illustrates the same point. The MPAA's rating system, having first denied American moviegoers any possibility of a workable adult category, is now busily corrupting the PG-13 rating. The principle seems to be, as long as we act sanctimonious by creating a climate in which legitimate adult films cannot be made, we can get away with maximizing the box office by opening up the PG-13. The MPAA in the summer of 2000 reveals itself as more willing to peddle smut to children than allow adults to make their own choices. Oh, my God. He Uh, was carrying.
3: (laughs) (laughs) He was worried about society. (laughs) It was failing at that moment. Also, by the way, to use the word bimbo sincerely, these bimbos,
4: (laughs) so rude.
2: Take that, Piper Parabo. <laughs> Fuck you. I did not know he hated Coyote Ugly that much.
3: Also, I mean, Can't Stop the Moonlight is still that girl, so he needs to reconsider well, that from beyond in the in heaven, where he, I assume, is listening to soundtracks from the early 2000s.
2: Oh, by the way, he did give Bring It On a thumbs up, though. Oh, that is good.
3: Because Bring It On, <laughs> by the way, as you know,
2: very hilarious. Holds up, yes. Yeah. I, uh, I Watching it back... Speaking of this, like, R-rated comedy, like, American pious thing, watching it back, there are obviously some jokes, you know, that, like, don't fly. Mm. You know, like, they uh, they throw faggot around a lot. You know, like, the word retarded gets thrown out about the cheerleaders. But it's actually not as, um... It's actually not as crazy as, like, I thought it would be. And, <laughs> I mean, honestly, I mean, like, comedy's kind maybe tamer now...
3: Right, no, it, it's. I just watched Party Girl recently, the Parker Posey mm-hmm. movie. That's a movie where she throws the f word around, and by the way, she does it fabulously. Oh my god, <laughs> she's like, "Don't fag out." She's just a perfect performance. Um, it, it when I watch old comedies, they're both. I, I would say like th- they take these big leaps in terms of like vulgarities, but then yeah. like the content usually isn't as crazy, or, or it's not as sex sexual as
2: you remember. It's just the jokes. It's just jo- it's, and it's just using specific. The problem with bringing on is like watching that, the jokes that, the jokes are fine. The jokes aren't crazy. The situations aren't over-sexualized. It's really just language we don't use anymore.
3: Yeah, right, right, totally. Something I want to say about American Pie and also Judd Apatow movies, namely Knocked Up, something I love about those movies is there's a full cast of great characters. It's not just Mm. there's the one funny person. Like American Pie from, I love like not just Jason Biggs. Thomas Ian Nicholas, I think, is a great character mm. in that. You've got, of course, Jennifer Coolidge in that. You've got Eugene Levy in that. Uh, Knocked Up, I thought, was a similar situation where you had people who I, I wouldn't even pair together in a movie, like Katherine Heigl and Seth Rogen. That's an odd pair. I guess that's the whole thrust of the movie, that they're an odd pair. But I love both those characters, you know, and, and everybody else who shows up. Leslie Mann, Paul Rudd, whomever.
2: Yeah, I mean, I hope we're sort of moving towards, like, an era of... Um... I hope that what we're really moving towards is an era of comedies that feel like that again, which are ensembles where everybody's fucking funny. Yeah. And if you get to pick a favorite character, too, you know? Yeah. You get to have it carried by, like, the two comedians in the lead. Uh, and then the rest of it sort of falls apart. Ugh. I mean, do you remember, like, that um, Kumail and, like, Issa Rae film? Right, Lovebirds. Yes. Like, they're great. And then, what else is going on in the movie?
3: No, very little. It feels very static in that way. Yeah, it's just about these two characters and everyone else on screen. Just happens to be on screen. John Hughes was good at this too, by the way. You know, there, oh. I, like, there'd like there be an entire ensemble of uh, really good characters. Like, when I watch mm-hmm. Ferris Bueller, I mean, I enjoy everybody, but then my favorite is, of course, Jennifer Grey. You know, I like when uh. you get to pick an avatar for yourself in a movie and they're not necessarily the main character.
2: Also, what a great trade-off of, you know, not really sort of passing the torch, but whatever, you know, of, like, Matthew Broderick being in this film. yeah, Because it feels very sweet. Um, And Ferris Bueller-esque. I could see this film becoming, like, um, some teenager who's watching this, the same way, you know, like, we watched Ferris Bueller as a kid. Um, In 20 years or so, being, like, No Hard Feelings is one of their favorite films.
3: Yeah. And just, like, you can tell everybody in it is cast for the, the charisma they have with each other. You know, it's not just... Only stars, whatever you know, because John Hughes would routinely break new actors. Also, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: yeah. Um, I'm sad that I didn't see it till Monday um, because I ran into Matthew Broderick on Sunday. Did you really? Yeah, uh, he was at Andy Cohen's Pride party, and I told him that um, he was the first episode of TV that I'd ever written on that show. Daybreak on Netflix from Oh yes,
3: yes, yes, yes. I don't even know if I can pick my. I've I've never seen Matthew Broderick on stage, and that's something I uh, lament. Since that's of course where we started with him. No, yeah. uh, and then of course I got to meet SJP. No, you didn't. I did. She was right there with him. I'm sorry. That's I can't believe you just threw that at me. I'm so. Some, <laughs> some people are so unapproachably amazing. I, I I would normally not bring up this kind of thing. I obviously wrote on Billy on the Street years ago, and I hang out with Billy. I'm like. I know you know SJP. Tell me she's the best, and he's like, she. I fucking love her. And He's like, she, we would do we would do Billy on the street, and she'd be like, I want to know what's up with this Mike situation. Like, she's like a producer mind, you know what yeah. I mean? And that's exactly <laughs> what I fucking. I just she's one of, mm-hmm. one of my favorite celebrities.
2: Yeah. No, it was a it was a nice hello and like um I worked with your husband thing um but that's about it. You know I was like I didn't want to. It was a pride party, obviously. So like as soon as SJP appears you can see like every faggot in the room, like their heads caught and they're all sort of swarming and buzzing around, you know, to like get a chance to talk to her. So I was like, I said my hello and kept it moving.
3: Good, good, good. By the way, still one of the best 73 questions. We haven't topped the SJP one and she was one of the first. Uh, yeah, that's sort of – 73 questions is pretty dead yeah. at this point. I don't I'm, think there's been a good one in forever. And even when I see parodies of them, which still exist, I'm like, okay, well, we did that too.
2: Yeah, <laughs> oh, RuPaul's my was basically
3: a parody. RuPaul having that weird wrought <laughs> iron structure where he meditates and he goes, just something simple. I was like, this looks like it's from the deep Blade Runner future. <laughs>
2: All right, when we are back, we are joined by Dwayne Perkins, creator and star of The Blackening. Keep It is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. Lewis? Yes. When you see footprints in the sand, our guest today is establishing himself as an icon which is good because we have an icon's only policy at keep it (laughs) a comedian emmy-nominated writer for the amber ruffin show and brooklyn nine nine saved by the bell the list goes on you can catch him this month in the blackening The horror comedy that you wrote and star in yourself. Please welcome to Keep It, Dwayne Perkins.
0: Hello. I'm so excited to be here.
2: I'm excited to have you here. I am, like, so excited for you with this movie finally being out. I remember, like, seeing the sketch so long ago, and now it's a real-ass movie, and it's a great movie.
0: Thank you. It's crazy. Everyone's, (laughs) like been telling me, like, this has been so quick, and I'm just like, this has been so long. <laughs> I'm so excited <laughs> for it to finally come out. Um, but yeah, I'm grateful. So, so grateful that it has transpired the way that it has.
2: Quicker than Zola. So, you know, <laughs> I feel like we're conditioned to, like, eight years, ten years between something. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. it's It's been about that long. <laughs> yeah, I was okay. Say, yeah,
2: this began as
3: a Second City sketch, which, by the way, already feels... I don't know the last time we had a movie like that. It makes me think of like the Blues Brothers or something, which I don't even know if that actually started at Second City. But when did you start performing this? In
0: 2016. Mm
4: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. And then 2018 was when uh, 3P filmed it for Comedy Central. Um, And then, yeah, then we sewed it that year. And then we filmed it in 2021? Uh... Yeah, then I went to TIFF, and then it's just been like <laughs> quite a bit of time. Um, but it's crazy that it snowballed in that way because when I originally wrote the sketch, I was truly just high on my couch, being like, I gotta write a sketch for this show. <laughs> <All right>. <laughs> <laughs> That's
2: how the best things start, though. Um, it does. I want to ask about, so the movie, you know, The Blackening, is about this group of f- black friends, obviously, who go to a cabin in the woods, um, some real white people stuff, uh, and then they discover this board game, uh, which is, you know, makes them play this game called The Blackening, which has questions which determine how black they are, etc. I would like to know, what was the idea when you, you know, made first just the second city sketch and then how did that change to when you're like okay we're gonna shoot something for comedy central and then what was it like when it was like oh this is a movie now now i have to actually figure out how this ends who the killer is etc
0: yes and it's very funny because like i'm like well like you know like as a writer who have written movies and who have written things that are not movies People ask this question often, and then they're like, "What's the biggest difference?" I'm like, "The amount of work, (laughs) 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 right?" (laughs) Um, But uh, when I when it started as a sketch, I was in an all black sketch Mm -hmm. show at Second City, and we needed like an opener. And my thought, I was sitting, I like remember the moment I was sitting on my couch, hi, and I was just thinking, like, okay, what is a fun environment that like we could all be in? I was like, oh, it'd be like really dope if we were in like a horror movie. I was like, oh, <clears throat> the first person uh, that usually dies like a the black person. And I was like, oh, but if we all black, how would they figure it out? And I was like, oh, that's fun. That's like a little fun premise. Um, and so I wrote it, we did it. It was the opening for that show. And then we did uh, like a bigger theatrical show uh, in DC at Woolly Mammoth. And that was the opening for that show so we had like bigger lights like a set uh so that was like the next version to be like okay we're like growing and then when three p got our uh comedy central web series deal we had to pitch sketches and that was the first sketch that i pitched because i was like oh i think this would be really dope filmed because then we actually like add the horror that we can't do on stage because we on stage um and so when they picked it and we filmed it we filmed it in like upstate new york at like 3 a.m it was very late uh but i was able to like get the tone of like what i envisioned from like the sketch being on stage so that was like the next level uh of me being like oh this is like what a treat like what a win because like as a stage sketch i was just like oh this is cool people like it it, it worked <laughs> for like what i needed it to do and then when we filmed it, I was like, OK, well, this is cool, because at least it, more people can see it if it's online. So we filmed it. It went viral. And I was like, oh, I never had to go viral. This is great. <laughs> like, I'm really out here killing it. I'm like, wow, I'm that girl. <laughs> uh, and, and then Tracy Oliver called me and was like, hey, I saw this. I saw the thing that you wrote. I think this could be a movie. And I was like, okay, well, you know better than me. Like, let's do it if that's true. <laughs> um, and so we came up with a pitch. And basically what we wanted to do was like keep the sketch in the movie. Mm-hmm. And then build the movie around the sketch. Um, and so that was the biggest kind of challenge. So what we realized is that we just had to like make, oh, girl, I just want We really had to like make the characters real because in the sketch, just like one joke, and just like a fun running bit. So we were like, okay, we have to make this like a real friend group. Like, who are these people? How like why do we care? And then in terms of like the game, we were like, okay, we have to like make this visually appealing and fun. Like, what's the entertainment factor to this? And so writing the film, it was just like a lot. There was just like so much more space to fill. <laughs> I mean, okay, like, this is a movie. <laughs> At least an hour 30 <laughs> versus this five-minute sketch. Um, it's, but I feel like the sketch really gave us the direction. Like, we really knew the game. So it was just a matter of figuring out who the characters was and then adding as much more fun that fits in, within the tone that the sketch had already set.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Obviously this movie lampoons so many horror tropes and one of my favorites that obviously is a part of Scream the subsequent sequels and I still know what you did last summer is trivia as something the the killer is like leveling at these people in order to like fool them and stuff the trivia in this fucking movie is so funny i won't spoil anything <laughs> but there's a specific question about a particular season of The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And I'm wondering, like, (laughs) did you have lots and lots of, like, trivia questions planned for this? Like, that you had to, like, choose the best ones from? Because it feels like that might have been a really fun part of the movie to write.
0: Um, We had, like, a couple more, but they're actually very hard to write. Because they have to, like, be on a certain line of, like, not too niche where nobody would actually know the answer but not too common to where it because then it kind of defeats the purpose um so we were trying to just like really figure out like what's the best way like what's the best joke while still like making it still feel high stakes (laughs) and that was very difficult because it's a very silly movie. <laughs> like, and that part in particular is silly. It's just been like, okay, uh, that's some of my favorite jokes. Um, uh, there's a what does the NAACP stand for? That is just a very fun joke. Um and so yeah, that section was hard, harder than we expected it to be. Um, but yeah, we're we're very glad it turned out the way that it did.
2: <laughs> I want to ask a bit about. You know, just like making a horror movie with black people, were you like a fan of horror movies in general? Was Tracy was was the idea like okay, we're making a horror movie with black people and they always die first, etc. Was there an attempt to you know want to not giving away anything, but you know to sort of like subvert this and be like you know like we don't also don't want to give like. People, a movie where it's like, you know, black people just having grisly murders on screen, too. Because I feel like it's not, it's not that. You're not about, you're not seeing like black people at least like sliced a dice like you're watching screen.
0: Yeah, that was intentional. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that will kind of take away the comedy. <laughs> um, we were like, so. We were really just trying to, like me and Tracy both really love horror uh, as a genre. And we've seen so many movies that like, if they had a black person, sure, they definitely, most of them didn't even have black people. And we were still in it. We were like, oh yeah, this is fun. Like we like recognize this. And so the idea of just making everybody black was, that was, it was just very easy to know like what that movie is. And we felt like there was like a hole of just having like an earnest movie where like the characters are black, it's not like a spoof, it's not, it's an actual horror movie with a bunch of black people who um, just like move differently because they're black. Um, And that part was the part that was like so much fun because it is like, if I myself was in a horror movie, what would I do? (laughs) <laughs> and just really being very truthful to that um there's like very subtle things like doors opening you're just like no why would i go out there i didn't <laughs> open it so i'm gonna go this way <laughs> i making like a movie for the people that like scream at the screen um was the goal and i think we did it <laughs> <laughs> yeah
3: it's funny start to finish too there's not like there's not like a slow section where you drift into just genuine horror or something it's like constant the jokes too it really feels like it had to have originated with a live show in
0: that way yeah uh that was um yeah like i, I think horror and comedy are just like very close uh and so if you're going to scream is a laugh is going to be very soon after because like it's the tension and like the release of tension um and also we really wanted it to be fun uh cuz you know entertainment should be entertaining <laughs> uh and something like something that uh ira was was talking about like the dicing up of black people and like that kind of vibe of being like oh if black people came to watch this movie is this going to be fun for them uh and i think that is kind of a a, a different lens where like there are certain movies where Some of the horror is very based in trauma, which is like, for sure, like like that's a point of view, but it's not one that like I personally am like gravitating towards in this very moment in time. Um, And I think we really wanted to attack horror from a place of levity of being like, yeah, I deal with a lot of trauma through inappropriate jokes, Uh, Mm -hmm. uh, and that just like that's where I live. I'm not really leaning into the sad. I'm just trying to like get through it in the best way possible uh, with a a little smile, and I think like that was the goal because, yeah, I think it would be so shitty to be like we're making this movie for Black people, and then Black people come and be like, oh, it's just niggas dying. (laughs) 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 How how is this for us?
2: That is always my sort of eternal question, though you know, because I feel like, and I'm glad this movie exists, you know. And then it's um when you want black versions of other films, whether you know it's like um, oh, the fucking the fucking Ghost House movies, uh, Vera Farmiga, what are those together? Oh,
3: Conjuring, Conjuring, oh yeah, the
2: Conjuring. <laughs> if you want those, or like even if you want it, you know, like. Um, something like a saw and like it's all Black people because people are always like, well, where's the Black version of this, you know? And I'm like, well, those versions are going to involve somebody sawed open Black people. So, uh, <laughs> do you actually want to see it?
0: Yeah. And and I, I do hope that like with more films that that could be a thing. But I feel like because there's so few, that would feel like such a statement um, mm-hmm. because there's just not enough to pad out that um because in this yeah there are some niggas that die <laughs> but there's enough <laughs> of them that don't <laughs> so like just like kind of balancing it out Where like who dies first doesn't matter if everybody black because everybody black <laughs> you got some left it's not taking away an entire identity from a movie because one person died
3: mm-hmm. now speaking of comedically slicing and dicing you are now also involved with spearheading an animated version or prequel, if I'm getting this right, maybe, of the 1985 movie Clue, which Ira and I just talked about. And in thinking about this, first, it's it's very interesting that it's being adapted as an animated uh, situation because a lot of the content in the movie, even though it's a silly whodunit, like, Miss Scarlet's a madam, the maid is a prostitute, like, the characters are, like, in pretty adult scenarios is this a movie you grew up with cared about and how did how did you get involved with it
0: yes i loved glue um my family played the game quite a bit um and then the movie was great i just always thought it was like very weird like and that was the thing like this feels very grown up also like there's like a weird childlike sensibility to it where it does feel like heightened and campy in like a way that i was very attracted to as a kid um and it came to be because tim's company had i believe they were talking to e1 and fox they had the rights to clue and they were looking for someone to like come on and i was just talking to the head of tim's company um and i just like mentioned she was like hey do you like clue and then i said bitch do i And then I just like kind of went in I'm like, how much I like Clue. And then she was like, oh, you should do this with us. And I said, do what? And she said, oh, like we have the rights, like Fox, they've been trying to figure it out for quite a bit of time and they haven't. So if you have like a take, let us know. And so I said, yeah, I think it should be an animated mockumentary. And they mm. said, sure. And I said, for real? Great. <laughs> right. uh, yeah. Then uh, we so did. Fox said, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Um, yeah, they basically was like, oh, yeah, like what you did to like the blackening, like we saw a certain like tone and we like that. Can you do that for Clue? And I said, I can. Um, and then I stopped because we on strike. I cannot fucking wait to see that Oh my
3: god It's also just like That movie just exists in time And has not been like remade or anything And people are obsessed with it It's just so weird You've not seen like a second coming of that movie yet You know
0: I agree Well there is a movie coming with like I think Ryan Reynolds uh, Because people be asking Are you writing the movie? And I said no I'm not That's a different thing Um
2: Um hearing how much you love Clue, it's hearing about horror movies um, that you like, too. I'm just sort of wondering, like, where did your initial spark of, like, comedy come from? You know, wh- what was the thing that, like, you know, Little Dwayne, um <laughs> let me talk about mariah here little Dwayne <laughs> uh, <laughs> sitting sitting at home watching something like what was what was the first thing that sort of like sparked your interest that you were obsessed with that you and then you were like oh i want to emulate this or i want to do this
0: um it's interesting because like i never considered like the art or like acting or comedy like a career choice until like late in high school but i Mm -hmm. remember being very young and being obsessed with like nickelodeon and disney and being like these kids they do it all i want to do that Uh, (laughs) (laughs) and like seeing like raven and being like oh wow she really has like a whole show where she's playing a psyche like that looks so fun she has albums oh cheetah girls just kind of seeing the power of the youth um I was like a big disney child i like loved radio disney i was just like these kids are really doing it <laughs> like they <laughs> are living a life that like i is so fantasy to me uh and then when i was in high school i played football for like a while i was like oh i'm gonna be a jock and then i said this is actually y'all care too much i don't care about this stop hitting me this is crazy <laughs> <laughs> we, we just running and y'all hitting like like that's the whole game no. So I quit <laughs> and I joined my school's dance team. But at the time I was in a closet and it was only two men. It was me and the only gay boy in the school. And I said, they're going to know. <laughs> I have to quit. So they I quit that as well. <laughs> you know, I love quitting It's one of my love languages. Like no. <laughs> So I quit. And then my junior year, I found like improv and sketch. Uh, and I did like my first comedic play. And that was very fun. I was just like, oh, this is really dope. I just never considered doing this because I was uh, always told that like as a young black man in Chicago, you have to be as smart as possible to survive. So I was like math and science AP. Like I was like, oh, I'm going to be a mathematician, do something just like then I found improv and the director of the improv group was also the director of the musicals. So she was like, come do these musicals. And I said, Oh, baby, are we singing dancing and acting at the same time? Like this is really good for my brain. Uh and so I became obsessed with that. And then she was like very much like Sandra Bullock in the blind side. And she was like, You should do this, follow your dreams. <laughs> <laughs> <You're> Black boy. <laughs> <Glenn. laughs> it's so funny. I saw her on the streets uh like a couple weeks ago. Uh, her name is Sarah Miller. And I was like, Sarah Miller? <laughs> uh, this is tiny little white woman who convinced me to go to uh, acting school. Um, yeah, so then I went to like acting school and that's kind of... And then I, I got cut from DePaul University's acting school. I
3: am always um, so curious about people who get cut from that program. What happens after you is, just uh, do a year my, of school?
0: It's my favorite <laughs> thing. Because there was this like pattern, right? Where um, Terrell McCraney... He was in mm. the acting program. He got cut. The next year, Jeremy O'Harris was in the acting program and he got cut. And then a year wow. after, I was in the acting program and I got cut. And we were like, oh, they really just don't know what to do with Black gay men. Um, <laughs> then, oh my God. And then we all decided to become the most successful people of our class.
4: <laughs>
2: <laughs> I would love to see... That that movie, that documentary, that whatever, you know, the three, the three DePaul, black gay DePaul rejects, because who are the others? <laughs> um, no,
4: like, but I'm also it, like, it was, if there's
2: well, others, if there's others that were cut, like they're probably pressed about the three of y'all.
0: Probably, and and then <laughs> the year after me, they got rid of it, and I said, "Girl," <laughs> 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 but because I got cut, like it 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 made sense. Um... It was not my jam i mm-hmm. i was like 17 i had just come out i was like i'm so young and fun and funny i was doing improv mm-hmm. and sketch and they were just like this is serious you are going to play angry sad black men and i was like mm-hmm. this is not fun why am i playing this 50 year old father this is not real like, this is not <laughs> this is dumb
3: <laughs> yeah when i I'm think of that child. program i think of like the grapes of wrath things like that yeah it was really <clears throat> just
0: like a lot of august wilson just like, yeah we are in here crying and maybe like, can I tell a joke? What the fuck? Uh, I got cut and I said, yeah, <laughs> that makes sense. And then that's when I started writing and I went to second city. Uh, and I only started writing because because of being cut and then like, uh, like going and being like an actor and seeing that like, oh, the roles that I wanna play are simply not there. Uh, so if I want to be more than just like a sassy assistant, I have to figure out how to write. So then, that's when that's when I comedy started hard for me.
2: Mm-hmm. And let me tell you, you were so good in um, just like the scenes you had in Saved by the Bell, and I love the writing on that show too. Uh, we're friends with Chris Schleicher, obviously, uh, and we would talk to him about that show. It was I loved it so fucking much. That's I wanted to I wanted to go down to Peacock. Have I
0: agree. I thought it was <laughs> really good, like, and and I would say, like, that was one of the best jobs that I've had. Um, I that was the first job that I had that was ran, no, yeah, the first narrative job that was like had a woman showrunner, and mm-hmm. the difference <laughs> I was like, oh, <laughs> like, this, like Tracy Wakefield, shout out to her, like, it was really, um, great. Like, I really enjoyed it. I also got to play a high schooler wearing a a hat, it was fun little bits like it, and it was just like very clever, very funny, like a lot of jokes. And that's kind of the stuff that I gravitate towards. So it was very like it was quite a shame when it got canceled because I said, Do you not see what we're doing? This is good <laughs> stuff.
2: I know because Tracy coming, you know, from like the 30 Rock, you know, mm-hmm. school, and it's like it was really one of the few comedies on the show that felt like almost like it was like living in that universe. It was so funny, and I just wish more people do about it. I was literally hanging out with someone this weekend who was younger um, at a party. And I made like a Jesse Spano joke and they didn't know what it was. Uh, and I said, save it a bell. And they were like, oh, I keep hearing that reboot's really good. I keep meaning to watch it. I said, well, it got canceled. So that's your fault.
0: Yeah. I for not watching you, it when you first you heard like about it.
3: it. <laughs> <laughs> now, you also uh, uh, were nominated for an Emmy for writing for Amber Ruffin's show. And I guess she yes. basically pushed you through the packet circuit to make sure you got on that show from what i hear
0: uh she helped me get my very first job so Mm. uh when i moved to new york uh, i think at that point i had she asked me to i've written for the wga awards for her i think uh and she knew that michelle wolf was getting a netflix a show the break with michelle she was like hey Mm. she's getting this show you should turn in a packet and i was like shout out to you thank you i'm gonna turn this packet in so i turned in my my packet and then uh she like called me a couple days later and, and was like hey i talked to michelle she said she ain't she ain't get your packet and i was like i turned it in like i don't understand why she wouldn't and then um i found out that my lit agent quit the same day that i turned my <laughs> <packet in. laughs> and i was like oh <laughs> <laughs> Well, no one was gonna tell me and they did it. Uh and I was like, see, I would fire you, but you already quit. Um so she was like, Hey, just send me the packet and I'll just give it to her. Uh, so she did that, and then I got an interview and then got my first job. Um, so without Amber, I would not have had that job. Uh so then when it came around for her show, she just came to me and was like, Hey, I know you're like doing like narrative stuff, but like, I really would want you to work on my show. And i said, anything for you, my baby girl. Um, and so, yeah, uh, me, Shantira and Demi, uh, but like that, that time was like, so cool. I just thought I've never been a part of a show from like its inception. Um, and so it was just like very special that, that first season, uh and then we got nominated and we were like see, this is special. like that's really cool um so yeah i'm such a big fan of amber
2: yeah i mean amber's fantastic and i be, something like it hot was fantastic so i truly can't wait to see what else she does on broadway
0: i mean baby she she don't, got. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. she got the tenacity. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Uh, well, thank you for being here, Dwayne. I mean, I'm just so happy for you for this movie. I like was cackling last night watching it.
3: Thank so.
0: you. Also, yeah. one of the few
3: movies I can think of where the tagline alone like reels you in. Like you, like if if you laugh at that tagline, you are going to get that fucking movie. You know, it's just yeah. it's so funny right off the bat. Yeah,
0: I agree. Shout out <laughs> to Lionsgate. Uh, this is the first time I like worked with like a. St- studio um and you know they did i love baby <laughs> 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 lion's gate water. Oh, <laughs> uh,
2: Lionsgate, making it rain all right we'll remember we'll remember that when negotiations start up again i know that's right
0: <laughs> this is doing the actor talking doing the, like, give us more give us what we deserve
2: <laughs> uh all right. Thank you. This is great. This is great. Thank you. Hey, you look great. Bitch. This Jesus look. Christ, you look great. Jesus yeah, Christ. You've been looking real good on these like these outings yeah. for the movie. So Thank you. Yeah.
0: Thank you. Shout out to <laughs> Havaga <good> stylist. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Brian. And, uh, yeah, but thank you.
1: Chocolate treats mix into dark chocolate ice cream, the Tillamook Chocolate Collection is a chocolate game changer because the thing that pairs best with chocolate is more chocolate. Tillamook chocolate collection ice cream. Extraordinary dairy.
0: Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt at 3 a.m. at all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New Miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient rich, high quality ingredients. Miracle Grow is simply the best.
5: The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories.
2: Well, speaking of me mentioning that, you know, I just happened to meet SJP yes. uh, on Sunday. I can't believe it came up, yeah. Uh, <laughs> season two of And Just Like That has finally premiered, and the streets are talking, okay? The blogs are talking, people are typing their opinions, and I finally have some because I think as you all know, I did not watch the show last season because I didn't care to, but then... I started re-watching Sex in the City, uh, and then once I got to the end of it, I was like, well, now I have to watch it just like that. So I'm caught up, and now I am in season two of the show. And I have to say, maybe I shouldn't have. Mm. <laughs> I, th-
3: there's, there's just something about the dynamic, literally the speed of the show. That does not compare to sex in the city. When you're re-watching the original show, I am just shocked how the hours fly by. Like you can't let go of these people. It's so yeah. engaging. Also, the, the women are it's just like comedy. Yeah, acting their asses off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they like they're dating these weirdos every episode, and then it's over and you move on. So there's almost like a procedural quality to the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In this one, there's nothing like that. It's just like the moments linger too long. Do you know what it feels like to me, this show? It feels like a commercial. Like you're watching like people like, mm-hmm. you know, like Oh, we have this problem. And then they solve it. And then there's a long smile. You know, it's mm. just like it's, like, it's lacking the, the whiz bang of the original Sex in the City.
2: Yeah. I mean, listen, the original Sex in the City, having just rewatched, you know, it was very fun because it did feel like a procedural, but it also was, it was obviously based on Candace Bushnell's, you know, Sex in the City column in The Observer. And that was about her friends in New York City. It was about the men that they dated. It was the fact that they were single and they wanted husbands, you know? They wanted good jobs, you know? They wanted to be fashionable. They wanted to be at fun parties. And that is what the show was about. And I'm re-watching that show. It still feels, you know, for however, you know, like, uh, non-diverse it is, you know, for however sort of retrograde some of the jokes are, it still feels very relevant. Um, as someone who just moved back to New York, it feels inspirational. You know, the the s- dynamics in New York society have not changed much um, from that. You know, like, right. they haven't changed since the fucking Great Gatsby. You know, like, New York is New York. Um, and watching this show, I'm like... Where the fuck is this set? Because it's not New York, right? It it doesn't it doesn't nail the feeling of New York
3: the way the original show did. Definitely, you know, it's just like you're you're inside. There's no sense of like soundtrack or motion or, yeah. I I, I it feels like the direction is the
2: worst part of the show. Yeah, and it feels like season five or six of a primetime drama, like season six of a soap opera, like a Melrose Place or something, where half the cast is gone and we've got a bunch of new people who are just here and they're involved in storylines, but they're not really connected to the characters that we care about because without Carrie's narration anymore, it doesn't really make sense to me what's going on, what these stories are about. When the show was a comedy, you know, it was very much like, a network comedy in that way, even if it was on HBO, it was still very much like, each episode sort of had a theme, right? You know? And like, there'd be one Charlotte story would lead into a joke about, you know, like whatever Samantha was doing, et cetera. And here, like, you know, the extra women, Naya, um, who, you know, was Miranda's professor, LTW, who's Charlotte's friend, and then Seema, um, who was originally Carrie's, um, you know, real estate agent, um, these women just pop
3: up. And they feel tacked on in that way, too. Just whether are randomly also following these people whose lives are not that
2: intertwined with the characters we know and love. Right. Yeah. What's also weird about it is that these six women aren't hanging out. Like, right. Carrie is friends with Seema. LTW is friends with Charlotte. Nia is friends with Miranda. It's really like all three of these white women got a new best friend of color that they're hanging out with all of a sudden. And it's just. And just like weird. that, I have
3: a new best friend of color. <laughs> like, hang out with your friends. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. The, yeah, the hangout vibe is really missing too. You don't even see many scenes between uh, Cynthia Nixon and Kristen Davis and SJP.
2: Right. And I'm like, I know, like, it seemed like there were some budget cuts. Um, and I guess in, in the premiere, you know, they're going to the Met Gala, but they have to call it the Met Ball. Which is very weird because, like, Vogue has been on the show before.
3: It's like when you do um, promo for the Super Bowl, but you're not directly involved with the Super Bowl and you have to call it the Mm. big game. I'm like,
2: did Kim Cattrall call up Anna Wintour?
3: (laughs) (laughs) I, I do have to say about Kim Cattrall, and of course we're getting some cameo from her later in the season, and I was actually sort of pleased to hear Cynthia Nixon say she's worried it will be anticlimactic because you know it's going to be a short scene, you know, and not really tie anything and just feel kind of tacked on. But the wrinkle I'm always interested in with Kim Cattrall is that Pat Field remains in her corner and, in fact, Mm -hmm. is doing the costuming for her cameo on the show. I think their friendship predates the show. So, like, they've just known each other a long, long time. But uh, and Pat Field, it's crazy that she's still active. She's in her 80s. But... um,
2: well, actually, Pat Field also has been doing. Uh, I think was doing the costumes on like the Star Show Run the World, which I think I want to start watching now because I'm in the mood to like watch like a Sex and the City vibe show, and that one's about black women in New York, and I just feel like this isn't giving me the vibe. I just finished rewatching Sex and the City, and I feel like I'm missing that even from like Desperate Housewives. You know, I'm like missing that era of just like fun women on TV. In crazy, wacky storylines, and and then, like, also hanging out together. Like, since Insecure went off the air, that doesn't exist anymore. Really. Yeah,
3: Yeah. no, I agree. I also think you're right that we underestimated the heavy lifting the narration did on that show. Because that really delivered you from one person's storyline into another. Like, you never had to question it. You never had to be like, why are we in this scene so long? Or, you know, who is this person? Like, Carrie's narration, like, hokey though it was, was exactly what you needed.
2: Yeah, and it um it just feels so disconnected from New York. It doesn't feel aspirational. I don't know what the show is about per se. And let's get into the Miranda of it all uh-huh. because Miranda's character sucks. <laughs> she's definitely Miranda's, she's down she, bad. She's down she, bad. She, she is. She's a fucking mess and also, Shay Diaz sucks as well, <laughs> and I don't understand why we are watching Shay Diaz scenes without Miranda in them. Like, when have we ever gotten one of the women's love interests um, POV? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, it no. makes Shay seem like a main character, and I'm like, no, when Miranda dumps this bitch, I don't want to see Shay Diaz again. No. <laughs> You should just show up to set and start screaming this, by the way. Well, I'm like, with the POV, it makes it seem like even if they do break up, we're still gonna be seeing Shay Diaz scenes and then watching what? Shay Diaz date some other like dyke? I don't know. I just have to say also the stand up
3: scenes with Shay. Now, let me just say, they are so bad. But okay, there are stand ups <laughs> who do do material like this, and you do have to groan through them, and they're probably successful in some regard. But for Shay to stand up there, and say, "L.A. is crazy." I took an Uber from my bathroom <laughs> to my living room, and not only say it, but end <laughs> the set with that. Shay, you need another career. No,
2: I'm starting to wonder if we're supposed to think that Shay is bad. I mean, mission because Miranda <laughs> keeps saying that they're so good, but then also there's so many young, like they keep selling out stuff. But the shift with Tony Danza appearing in episode two and Shea changing their identity from Mexican to Italian just for the network. I'm like, are they supposed to be a bad sellout? I don't know what's happening here. But also, I don't care. (laughs) The the addition
3: of Tony Danza is inspiring. It's nice to see him again. (laughs) Tony Danza looks good. (laughs) The person that
2: Carrie's dating, her podcast producer, is unbelievably gorgeous. He's so fucking hot. But that's over after episode two. Right, yeah. Which was one of the only things that felt like classic Sex in the City, right? We got, she was still dating him starting the new season, and then we got like a two-episode arc with him. Yes. And I thought that that was like, great, can we get back to the short arcs? Charlotte's funny again this season.
3: Right. Thank oh, God. I, you're right. I do think Charlotte is funny this season. I love that joke she had about sh- she asked what somebody's dick was like and sh- they compared her to Samantha or something. She handled that really well.
2: Yeah. Um but I still feel like we need a connective tissue in the show. I don't know. Like the Met Gala the Met Gala episode, right? Um you know what it didn't end with? all the women together walking into the Met Gala in their looks. That would be, that's classic Sex and the City. It was like, I feel like Sex and the City. One by one, them leaving their houses. It was the opposite of a Met
3: Gala. It was, we we didn't even add a new set.
2: (laughs) I feel like Sex and the City invented the whole, um, these four women walking side by side, power walking down the street or into an event thing that we get from so many other TV shows now. And, we don't even get that on the show. Yeah. You know? I,
3: I, um, I fear for whoever has to do the scheduling on this show because you know it's like one shoot at a
2: time. Like, come on, get them all together. And uh, it's unfortunate that Carrie's podcast got canceled in the second episode because I felt like that should have been the connective tissue. She's podcasting all up. Like, if anyone should be a podcaster, it would be Carrie Bradshaw. And yeah. I thought it never made sense last season that the first her first foray into podcasting was on Shay's show. Because she would have won. Someone would have hired her to, you know, have her um, book, her previous columns, like, spun that into a podcast. Like, or she would have been on one before. Definitely. Like, it just makes no sense because I'm also like, what happened with these women? They all made a bunch of money and then... They were, like, frozen in time for 30 years? Yeah, they don't, they don't do a good job of explaining what they could have been up to in the intervening times, yeah. I don't know what Carrie did besides, like, lay it home and wait for Big to come back.
3: And also, I want to say also, th- at the end of the episode where she goes to the Met Gala, Met Ball, excuse me, she is in a dress from the original Sex in the City, and that was just depressing. When it yeah. reminds you of the original show and she's wearing an old look, I'm like, that doesn't leave me inspired. It's just, oh, you found this in the closet and you're trotting it out for us? Yeah. Not fun.
2: Gotta love anyway. SJP, though. God, was yeah. still one of my favorite <sighs> celebs. I'm still gonna keep watching the fucking show because now I'm hooked. <laughs> but it's it's like a train wreck that I can't turn off. Right. Um, And I also want to shout out... Um, you know, we brought up Kim Cattrall. Um, she's great in Glamorous, uh, which our friend Jordan Nardino created. Yes. Uh, and Miss Benny, who plays the lead in it, is like a star. Miss uh, Benny,
3: Miss Benny's performance is so much fun. It's also, it's so yeah. human. There's like, there's an insecurity about that character like entering the company and being around these dynamic personalities.
2: It really works. Yeah. Um, and, um Sorry. <laughs> Pin Basley just walked past the studio. Oh. So, yeah, shout out <laughs> to him. Literally uh, took your breath away. Okay. Yeah. He, he took my breath away. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm.
5: <laughs> uh, anyway,
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm Kelly McGillis. <laughs> 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 um, <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, what were we talking about? We were talking glam. <laughs> do, do you need some water? <laughs> Ooh, let me sit. <laughs> <laughs> um. Anyway, uh, like I did, like I didn't share a scene with that man at like the TV show. Yeah. But right. just seeing him I was like, hey. Anyway, <laughs> um, the show was great. Obviously, there's the Ugly Betty comparisons, mm-hmm. but you know, and but like what you said about Miss Benny's performance, I think is sort of what made the early seasons of sort of um Ugly Betty work. Like American Ferrera was so um. Honest and sort of real and made that character feel, like, relatable, even though she was supposed to be, you know, this, like, stupid dork.
3: Actually, it's a major credit to America Ferreira that she was so relatable and fun in that show without being cloying, since the character was supposed to be such a naive, you know. uh, And we forget that she won an Emmy for that series.
2: Yeah. Um, And I would also credit the series with um, making um, the character of Marco um, that Miss Biddy plays... um, being very like honest and real, but also sort of naive, you know, like they're the um, Marco he's learning about um you know actually dating you know with this Parker character, you know who's sort of like not ready you know to like um date someone like Marco who's like wearing heels and stuff like in public um. But, you know, doesn't feel like they don't know things about the gay world. I think that there's a good balance. Like, doesn't feel like you're watching um, Jonathan Groff and Looking, where it was like, what's an uncut dick? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can Google that. Come on now. Yeah. Uh, it feels very we- real. Um, you know, I'm not done with it. I hope it gets a second season. Uh, and because I'm also very interested, um, just from an acting standpoint, um, you know, Miss Penny just did an interview where um she comes out as uh, a trans woman. Yes. Uh, now, so I'm, I'm interested to see, you know, where that takes the direction of the show next year, you can, know? Can I give a word of advice to Kim Cattrall, though? I feel like a problem she has is she
3: is somewhat obsessed with not seeming like Samantha. Girl, just yes. let it fly. Let it fly. <laughs> yes. Give me the broad comedy.
2: She's doing a lot of, like, calm pauses, doing a lot of, like... Knowing glances. It's like, bitch, this isn't House of Mirth.
3: No, okay, yeah. <laughs> like,
2: give us Samantha. I was say. Nor are you Diane Carroll. Like, you're not commanding like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. She did the same thing on that Fox show where she was wearing like the dishwashing gloves every scene. Oh, that's right. We also. She, oh, she was in Queer as Folk too.
3: Oh, where she tried to be from New Orleans. She sure wasn't. <laughs> she sure wasn't. <laughs>
2: I know. I—I to tell you, baby, when someone's from—I to tell you, baby, when someone's from <laughs> Ireland, I know someone's from Ireland. The princess and the fact.
3: <laughs> All right. When we're back, if we're back, we're canceled. Actually.
2: <laughs> uh, when we're back, our favorite segment of the episode. Keep it. And we're back for our favorite segment of the episode is Keep It. Lewis, you want to go first? Sure. Um, So it's been 20 years since
3: one of the crucial albums of my life came out. And that is Liz Phair's Self-Titled, which if you know Liz Fair, I'm obviously an obsessive fan. I bring her up all the time on the podcast, uh, was the album where she went pop. And the reaction Mm. to that album was like Dylan going electric, where people thought um, you know, God was dead and... uh, You know, uh, pop was the devil, whatever, and that she abandoned what it was understood to be her core
2: thing—an indie sound, uh, Mm -hmm. a a rock-oriented vibe, (laughs) hip hop, street rap. You know, she was (laughs) hood. Oh uh, yeah, and then she went pop, and it was like Liz Fair. You were just talking about caffeine dudes, and now you're like, why can't I? (laughs) (laughs) Nothing says hip hop like being from Winnetka, Illinois, and
3: going to Oberlin College. Yes. Um, anyway. You and know I discovered
2: Liz With that album
3: Oh, well, with her well, pop that, album Well that's when she became Popular basically You know she was always a Like something you had to read about In Spin Magazine before that Or unless you hung around Wicker Park And knew her from performing then But anyway At the time Like Pitchfork gave it a 0.0, 0 And actually the writer of that column Has since recanted it uh, And it's an interesting album For me to listen to now Because one I'm the age she was When she released that album And at the time People treated it like Who is this old whore putting out <laughs> pop music that sounds like avril levine listening to the music now it does not sound too like teenage it really like the mm-hmm. lyrics are funny um it sounds like somebody with experience talking about like pitfalls of dating like the the weirdness of um disappointing your your kid like there's a great song called little digger on it and i just want to say in general keep it to How we treated that album at the time, it's a perfectly listenable, very fun album all these uh, years later. I can't believe it's been 20 years.
2: Yeah. I mean, listen, if I can't be an old whore at 36... That's what I'm saying,
3: girlfriend. (laughs) We're in our prime. The prime of Miss Jean Brody.
2: Brody, she's 35 in that movie. Um, No, I feel like that's also the whole point of like, that's also sort of why Sex in the City... Was revolutionary, right? Like, yes. they were in their 30s in that series, and like, oh, you're still fucking all these men. It's like, yeah, what else are we supposed to do? We're 36. There's that famous
3: magazine cut out of uh, Madonna at 31, and the, the writing on it says, okay, grandma. It's like, geez, it's like, there's no 31 year old grandparents. What are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs>
2: Bristol Palin.
3: That's right, yes. Let's let's name all the Palins, actually. Track, Gestalt, uh, Asphalt, Asphalt, yeah. Um, Uh, Asbestos Palin is my fave. Confederacy Palin is my favorite. (laughs) Ludwig von
2: Palin. (laughs) (laughs) Wendy O. Palin, yes. Uh, Yeah, anyway, I love that album. And shout out to the movie that... um, How to Deal? That introduced me to Why Can't I. Now... Um, when a date with Ted Hamilton? Yes, win a date with Ted Hamilton. Yes. Ted Hamilton, where are you? That's a that's a question Wait. for another episode. I wrote what's your keep it. Well, as you know, I left you all without a dope beat to step two <laughs> last week. <laughs> um, Should I leave? I'm going to actually go ahead and take a step out of the podcast. But uh but also shout out to Angelica, uh Jade Bashant and Solomon L, who were oh, we fantastic. Had a blast. I listened on the plane. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, you take planes, wow Humble brag, okay, go ahead (laughs) I boarded an aircraft carrier Uh, That actually is a humble brag this week Because apparently nobody can fly anywhere I am worried I'm supposed to fly out in two days And maybe I won't, we'll see But I decided to come in with a quick fire Keep it this week Because I got several Okay, I'm going to hold on to the table, go ahead Uh, Okay Start the timer. There's no timer. Uh, <laughs> my first key fit goes to Angela Bassett's honorary Oscar.
3: Uh, it hurts. Sometimes you get an honorary Oscar to someone and it's supposed to feel great. But instead, it's just, it's giving consolation prize. It's giving. It's a slap in the face. It's giving uh, third
2: place on Wheel of Fortune. Uh, yeah. They're playing in my mom's face. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> also, like, to do it the year after she just lost um, her second nomination uh, ever really feels blatant. Yeah. And also,
3: to lose to that Jamie Lee Curtis performance, I'm sorry, it was the worst in the category that year. It's just such a brutal loss. I, I of course, love Jamie Lee Curtis. I just don't think that's an Oscar-winning performance.
4: Yeah.
2: Um, My second keep it, the Barbie marketing team. They are, uh, shall we say, lit. I've had enough. I've had enough, okay? Like, there's a... There's a Barbie dream house in Malibu that you can rent out now. I'm pretty sure it's going to be um keep it brought to you by Barbie next week. Yeah, right, wait for it. Um they are everywhere. And I'm like, "Baby, we know the movie's coming out."
3: And also, I'm I'm getting a little sick of the Barbie-Oppenheimer juxtapositions, even though I will be seeing both movies definitely the same day. And I just want to say, I finally figured it out. Cillian Murphy looks like a Funko Pop of Christopher Walken. Thank you.
2: <laughs> and obviously, you have to see Oppenheimer first. Why? Well, I mean, like, I can't see, like, the fun, frothy movie Barbie and then just, like, Depress myself with Oppenheimer. That also, Oppenheimer's three hours.
3: Oh, I did not know that, but that does sound like
2: uh, Chrissy Nolan, so. Yeah. So, you know, Chrissy Teigen's sister. Yes, <laughs> right. That's Chrissy, how- Chrissy Nolan, what's she up to this week, releasing yeah. three-hour <laughs> movies. <laughs> um, obviously, we will be boots on the ground reporting the um, Barbie versus Oppenheimer war um, on Keep It the week after yes. both films drop. Speaking of Barbie, my next keep it goes to the new Charlie XCX song, which comes out on the soundtrack this week, which clocks in at one minute and fifty-seven seconds. It's Are like
3: you that fucking that, kidding me. That Nicki Minaj song with Ice Spice—that's like a minute forty-two. Guys, we used to have real song- like the last person to have songs that were a minute and forty long were it like, was like Jerry Lee Lewis. Can
2: we not be nineteen fifty-eight? <laughs> How long is the Barbie soundtrack at this point? <laughs> Ten minutes. <laughs> Right.
3: Oh, upsetting. What is wrong with a long song? There's you no know, of it. The- padam, padam I'm even mad at. <laughs> you know, the songs are supposed to be longer than the scenes that they're in. Yeah, right, right, right. It, does it save money or something? I have no idea what's going on there.
2: The next keep it goes to the person from grad school that I have not seen in 12 years who put me on their mailing list this week.
3: Oh, my God. Because you needed updates now. I don't want to see your play. Mm. And I, I feel offended. Th- there's like a very short list of people where I'm like, oh, I want to see the play. I'll go yeah. and
2: see it. But beyond that, be reasonable. I think 12 years is a little bit too long to be digging back into the archives. Yeah, right, right, right. For people to put on your mailing list. Uh, my next keep it goes to taking videos of people in public. Obviously, you know, this is related to... Uh, summer recording Andy Cohen uh, at a party in New York called The D.L., uh-huh. uh, which is a great party, by the way. Um, you know, obviously, like there was a man sitting in his lap, you know, um, and, like, he was getting, you know. Oh, oh, I saw that. Yeah, he was getting cozy like an Agatha of the Christie novel, you know? <laughs> um, sure. Yeah. Um, he, he was on the Orient Express. Oh, I see. Yeah, in the sleeper car, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, but... Whatever conversation came out of that afterwards, which was very obnoxious, um, I think the whole concept of, like, filming celebrities or people in general in public is, it's, it's gotta go. And we need bigger penalties for people who do it. Because the amount of people who will just, like, right. even gaze me now, where it's like, um, I'm recording this guy that I think is hot at the gym. It's like, can you not it's be pathetic. Creepy? It's pathetic. Yeah.
3: Yeah. And then to post it, it's like for cloud, it's, it's, people are obviously disgusting online, but this is a particular version where it's like, no, right now, as I'm looking at this, this is so insane. There was like a a viral moment where somebody took a picture of like seemingly gay men having like an all naked party in like an apartment and then they posted it online. It's like, what the fuck? You should be in jail. That's disgusting.
2: Yes. Um, although I personally know some of the people who are in that apartment and they should be in jail. Okay. Well, that's different. Yeah. Case by case <laughs> basic. <laughs> but no, yeah. I, I think that, that taking it for clout, taking it, you know, to make fun of people, um, uh, even doing it sneaky to like a celebrity, it's like it's du-a-moi culture. Mm-hmm. I just think it's gross. I mean, if you're taking a video and holding your camera underneath a table, you know, so the person can't see you, like you're the ops. Yeah, sick. Narc. NARC world. Uh, yeah, you know, like, we need to bring back the mafia, okay? Because we know, you know, with the mafia, we, you know, we do it to the rats. So.
3: <laughs> well, also, you know what's interesting is, like, obviously, like, gays have a kind of rowdy party culture, and I'm always shocked that I don't see more people like that get re- reported on online, you know, since everybody has a phone, and you'd think, like, for the most part, I feel like we do a pretty good job not doing that to one another. So when it, right. when it happens to someone like Andy Cohen, I'm like, man, this must be somebody who's... Not in the know at all.
2: Right. Well, I mean, because, like, you know, like, we obviously go to, like, um, parties and clubs, you know, like, and it's very, you know, like, um, even, like, European culture, like, techno or like, rave clubs, right? Where it's, like, you know, like, you cover your phone. Like, you're not taking videos. Yeah. Et cetera. You know, because that's, like, your people are supposed to be having fun. Yes, um, right. Yeah, I just think of loser behavior. Completely. Recording people. Um, and my last keep it goes to... Whoever decided to hire Ryan Seacrest to host the Wheel of Fortune instead of you. I I am right here. Am I
3: not like one of the nicer people you'll meet? I'm just saying. And then additionally, my passion and fervor for game shows. I will say that I think I've checked his Wikipedia. He does have a bit more television experience than I do. I will, I will. The hours do stack up in his favor. Well, on, I will Lewis. say that.
2: We'll learn more about his TV experience <laughs> right after these commercials. <laughs> <laughs> If you want Lewis to host Wheel of Fortune, call 1-800-95... I
3: have to say, I have to say, Ryan Seacrest is a good pick for this show. He's got that daytime sensibility. He's also very much like Pat Sajak in that moves it along. There's an efficiency to everything he says. And then also, did you just make a bastardly joke? Anyway, on to the next commercial, on to the next game. You know, he has that humor and just polish that uh, a game show because like, there's you have a lot of responsibilities in that show you have to like tell everybody their options and every every given moment you say something to vanna you say something the tv you're talking mm-hmm. to the announcer and he is obviously extremely capable of that it's just crazy that they nailed this down so early after the you know jeopardy fiasco of the past couple of years that went on for months and months like they couldn't solve it
2: yeah, you know, he does sort of have a dead-in-the-eyes quality, but I think that's sort of what you want from a gay show host, because, you know, if you're going to do that for years... Stay dead, yeah. Stay dead, you know? Dead and loving it. Right, right. Well, it's sort of like Steve Harvey or something, you know.
3: He, he, doing the show again, but, like, the react the, the numb reactions to everything only add to the humor of it, you know? I'm not that happy to see anybody. <laughs> Precisely. Let alone five shows a day? Ugh.
2: Okay, wait, I have one more.
3: Okay huge day for you what the fuck is this show claim to fame on hulu i have to watch it because i know exactly the (laughs) clip you're talking about this is a very weird (laughs) abc game show where it's all people who are related to celebrities and it's their job to figure out what celebrities the other contestants are related to and in this one particular this it's season two now this girl gets outed for being tom hanks's niece and so she, she loses and she leaves the meltdown this woman
2: has. <laughs> Chet
3: Hayes is looking responsible today.
2: It, yeah. It is not getting picked on the bachelor style level of a meltdown. Yeah. She's screaming, uh, shouting about how the clue is so fucking obvious. You ain't got to show like a still from the Forrest Gump poster. <laughs> Which, by the way, it sounds like she might have a point.
3: Like on episode one, you're showing a Forrest Gump clue about Tom Hanks. Like, start easy. Like, what about the movie Volunteers? Uh, or pardon me, start, start difficult. What about the movie Volunteers or yeah, Lady Killers or something lesser known about one of the world's most popular
2: actors? I just have to say, I don't know what deal with the devil Tom Hanks made in his youth to have this Ch- Chet Hanks, Chet Hayes, and now this girl. <laughs> this what's woman, re- what's going on in the house of Hanks? Yeah, this woman is <laughs> shrieking in this club. <laughs>
3: Freaking the fuck out. She even also, she literally not- says, "I deserve more screen time." Like she's fucking Gloria Swanson and Sunset Boulevard.
2: <laughs> Mr. Demille, come back. <laughs> <laughs> um, where is it? Um, but also shout out to the fact that this show is hosted by Kevin and Frankie Jonas as well. Right, just.
3: To, Two uh, on the wheel of Jonas's, not the two you would expect, but fine.
2: Yeah. So, um, I'm definitely tuning in. I,
3: I, I I can't imagine there's another meltdown on that level. But my god, it was so funny, and the people reacting to it, who by the way are are seemingly a hundred yards away from where she's screaming, still hearing
2: every (laughs) word. It makes no sense. Uh, All right, that's our show this week. Okay, we did it. Yes. uh, thank you to Dwayne Perkins for joining us. We will see you next week with a special bonus episode of Keep It. It's not a clip show, so you better listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> Keep It is a Crooked Media production. Our senior producer is Kendra James. Our producer is Chris Lord. And our associate producer is Malcolm Whitfield. Our executive producers are Ira Madison III and Louis Vertel. This episode was recorded and mixed by Evan Sutton. Thank you to our digital
3: team, Megan Patzel and Rachel Gajewski. And to Matt DeGroote and David Toles for production support every
2: week. And as always, Keep It is recorded in front of a live studio audience.
1: Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle grow.